the scripture reading for today, taken in connection with God's word as, as summarized in Lord's Day 20, is taken from two places. And the first place that we'll be looking at is Leviticus chapter 23. And we'll be reading the verses 9 to 14. And then after that, we will be reading together from the letter to the Romans, specifically chapter 8, the verses 18 to 30. Now, Leviticus chapter 23 is taken in connection with something that we see mentioned later on in Romans, the Feast of Firstfruits. And so I would encourage you to, take, to, to uh, pay special attention to this feast as we read through it. You'll be able to find that on page 139 of your pew Bible, Leviticus chapter 23, the verses 9 to 14. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So we can see the emphasis, such a great emphasis on the first fruits that you can't even eat until you have offered your first fruits to God on this day. Remembering the urgency and the nature of these first fruits, let's move ahead now to Romans 8, the verses 18 to 30. We'll be focusing especially on verse 23 in connection with our Lord's Day today. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So far, the word of God. Keeping in mind once again, Verse 23, where it says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We now come to Lord's Day 20. We continue working our way through the Apostles' Creed here, and we've reached the third part of the Apostles' Creed, dealing with the Holy Spirit and our sanctification, our being made holy day by day, our being transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. And you'll be able to find that on page 534 of your book of praise. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is a desperate need in our world today to belong. Loneliness, they say, is one of the biggest epidemics in our world today. In a world that's more and more connected through social media, people are living in a more and more isolated way, and for many people, they are just looking for a place to belong. The sad thing is that for many people, it's led to bad choices. This can also be especially a challenge during high school years or those early years in university, where people can make friends with people who lead them down paths that go astray. And the reason for that is they want to belong. They just want to fit in. It's a natural human inclination. And that's because God's created us that way. God has created us to live in community. God has created us to need to belong. And while we can fill that in in part with our human connections, for Christians, the greatest way that we recognize that we need to fill this void is to know where we belong above all, that we belong to Christ, to find our deepest satisfaction in belonging to him, being united more and more to him. This is, after all, how God designed us. As the early church father Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. In Lord's Day 1, we found the question, What is your only comfort in life and death? And what was the answer? 
that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, this is our gospel comfort, that we can say, I belong. I belong to Jesus Christ. In our Lord's Day today, now, we find a second incredible aspect to being a Christian. Here, tucked away near the end of the discussion of the Apostles' Creed, we find this second beautiful truth. The Holy Spirit belongs to me. I belong to Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit belongs to me. Second, he's also given to me, given to me, to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. My comfort is that I belong to Jesus Christ, and the comforter, the Holy Spirit, belongs to me. There's a lot to unpack in that, but this will be our main point for today. I proclaim to you that as Christians, you can confess, my comforter, my comforter, the Holy Spirit, belongs to me. We'll see, first of all, how he belongs to me, and second, how he's given as the first fruits. Now, in the first place, we need to ask ourselves the question, where do we find this? Because it seems pretty incredible, doesn't it, to make such a bold claim that God belongs to me. If we're going to make this claim, we're going to have to be absolutely sure that God's word actually says this. Because it would be pretty forward to have this in the back of our minds as we approach our friends and neighbors, only to discover that it wasn't actually the truth. Now, to begin with, of course, we need to clear up what's meant by that phrase, God belongs to me. The Holy Spirit isn't given to us in the sense that our our parents give us a toy. The Holy Spirit is given to us, or not not given to us, in the sense that a husband will will build something for his wife in a workshop and and then give it to her. But the Holy Spirit is given to us in a similar sense to a husband and a wife being given to each other on their wedding day. They belong to each other. There is a covenant there. There is a promise. And for Christians, this is true as well when it comes to the Holy Spirit. In our Bible passage today in in Romans chapter 8, we read that, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, to get the full scope of what's meant by this, we have to go a little further afield. What is meant exactly by the first fruits is something that we'll dwell on in a moment, but the question of having the Holy Spirit, we have to go further afield. So let's begin with this quote. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say this before. We find this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. 
It's impossible to confess that Jesus is Lord and to truly mean it. Submitting your life to his lordship and fully recognizing his authority in your life, both now and forevermore, without the Holy Spirit himself working that in your life. This isn't something that comes out of someone naturally. Because what comes out of someone naturally is the kind of thing that we find in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It says the works of the flesh or, or the works of the fleshly nature are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the kinds of things that come naturally to the human heart. And anything else that comes into the human heart is in need of training, shaping, and forming. The natural inclination of the heart is to stand up in rebellion against God, not to submit to his lordship. So when we truly say Jesus is Lord, this is something that has been worked in us, shaped in us, formed in us from an outside source. This is faith which we need worked in our hearts because it certainly doesn't come from within. This faith, as we read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, is a gift from God. This is the faith that we read about in our Lord's Day as well, a true faith which makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. We can't look to ourselves for this. And after we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can't congratulate ourselves and pat ourselves on the back for being such good people. We need to come to God in humility and recognize that it's 100% his work. That as we remove the cloak of human responsibility, we see the glowing core of God's sovereignty there. The work of God. So again, that brings us back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you truly do say that Jesus is Lord of your life, and by his grace you can see your life beginning to reflect this recognition of his lordship, you can know that it is his spirit who is at work in you. As it says in the first part of Romans 8, verse 23, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. There is that sense of ownership, the Spirit who is at work in you, that belonging. Again, if we continue traveling through the New Testament, we see this reinforced. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Another way you could say this is in terms of the old NIV translation, the Holy Spirit, whom you have received from God. The Holy Spirit himself has come to live in believers as if we ourselves were a temple. 
Back in the day, you had gods and goddesses that lived in temples all around, and if you wanted to see this god or goddess, you had to go to the temple. But here, God himself has been given to Christians, to believers. God himself has come to live in those who believe in him. He has made you his temple. You have received the Holy Spirit from God. He has been given to you. But he hasn't just been given to you. He's been given to you as the first fruits. And that's the second thing we see here in verse 23 of Romans 8. So, is the Spirit just on loan? This might seem like a bit of a funny question to ask. But the reason that I ask you this is because so often, so many of us act as if he is only on loan. So many of us seem to live in fear that God may one day remove his Holy Spirit from us. That he who began a good work in you will not bring it to completion. And that can be the only that can be an only natural human inclination, our own sense of insecurity bubbling up. Maybe it's because things have been promised to us in the past and then they were taken away. Maybe it's because people in positions of authority have promised us things before and not delivered. Maybe it's because we've just committed some terrible sin And though we've come to God in repentance and in fear and trembling, we can't imagine that God would ever take us back again because we know we wouldn't take ourselves back again. And maybe we have no idea where this fear comes from. We confess our sins. We confess our faith in Christ alone. We do confess him as Lord, and yet we struggle with our own natures, we struggle with our own fears. We struggle to trust that God will be with us until the end. If this is you, you are being human. You are no different than so many other believers in past or present. You're no different from King David in the Old Testament who when caught in terrible sin came before God begging, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is the heart's cry of a broken and humble humanity deeply aware of their own sin. The heart's cry of the true Christian. But know this, while you're human, God is God. And if God promises something, he will deliver. So what does he promise? In our passage here in Romans 8, we read in verses 22 to 23, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. All of creation is groaning under the weight of sin, under the effects of sin. And we can see that today, can't we? We just have to look 
around us at the world today with the virus that's, that's sweeping across the globe. Creation is groaning under the effects of sin. This is an effect of the fall. Creation is groaning, looking ahead for something to happen. And it says, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves. The Holy Spirit is described as the first fruits. We read about the Feast of First Fruits before this sermon. This was a feast that came around harvest time as the crops were ready to be taken off the field. And the very first of it would be taken to the Lord. This feast was a recognition of two things. In the first place, it showed that you knew where everything came from. It showed that you saw that it belonged to God first and that he was giving this to you to be a good steward and to survive in this world. Anything you have, you owe it all to him, the creator of all things and the source of everything good. It is his. And so as a humble servant of the Lord, you are bringing this forward to him. This is yours, God, along with everything else, really. In the second place, it showed a hope of a harvest to come. It showed that you knew God would provide the rest of the harvest, that you could turn this over to him knowing that God will take care of me for the rest. It was an expression of trust in God's faithfulness. Now God, having cemented this understanding of firstfruits into the hearts of his people through centuries of coming back to this feast of the firstfruits again and again and again, he now uses this same image to give them a new hope. But instead of us giving him the first fruits, he has given us the Holy Spirit as first fruits. The Holy Spirit is the beginning. The Holy Spirit is the promise of a full harvest that's yet to come. These are the benefits of Christ that are spoken of today. The rest of the harvest the hope and promise of our adoption, it says in our passage, of our, the redemption of our body coming in full, the joy of knowing that we'll no more struggle with sin that's wept about in Romans chapter 7 leading up to Romans chapter 8. The joy of knowing that these earthly bodies in which we have grown as we await the day of redemption in which we, we do groan as we await the day of redemption, these earthly bodies will soon be made whole again. Verse 24, for we are saved in this hope. This hope is one which is guaranteed to come in its fullness to all who have received the first fruits of the Spirit. To all who have, by God's grace, come to recognize and know and live under the Lordship of Christ. And it's not just here in Romans that we read of it. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 to 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. 
He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit into our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits of a harvest yet to come. He is the deposit, the down payment on an infinite bank account of promise, guaranteeing our inheritance. Meditate on these verses, on these words of, of verse 23 of Romans chapter 8. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even as we groan, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The certainty, the sureness of God's promise to all who believe. This isn't something that you're just given and then disappears. There is a permanency to it. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. This guarantee shows God's claim on us. And it, as we read in our Confessions, Canons of Dort, chapter 1, article 13, this, in it, this assurance has incredible value because it provides us as children of God, with greater reason for daily humbling ourselves before God, for adoring the depth of his mercies, for cleansing ourselves, and for fervently loving him in turn, who first so greatly loved us. The devil today will try to persuade you that the Holy Spirit has no value to you. He'll tell you that it's meaningless to have the Holy Spirit working in you. Hold on to these promises. Respond to that. He is not meaningless. He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. If you have faith that, yes, your only comfort in life and death is Jesus Christ, the devil will tell you, yes, for now. But what about the future? God won't always be so kind and so patient with you. Reject that. Instead, say with our catechism today, he is given to me as the first fruits of an eternal harvest, as the down payment on an eternal treasure. He is given to me as a promise that God will never leave me or forsake me. And he won't leave me in my sin either. As I fight it in his strength, he will shape me and form me into who he means me to be. He will sanctify me. This is his promise. When the devil accuses you, yes, but your sins are so great. Remember, yes. Yes, they are. Yet God knew that God knew that, and he knew that before he bought me with Christ's blood. 
And now through true faith, which is worked in my heart by the Spirit, I'm joined to Christ and I share in his promises. When the devil whispers in your ear, God is in heaven so far away. He won't hear you. You're all alone. Reject that. Remember, as our catechism reminds us, he is there to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Forever. I am a living, breathing, walking and talking temple. And the Holy Spirit lives within me never to leave me. By his grace and promises and not by my strength, I will persevere. Now the Holy Spirit won't leave you unchanged in this process. And so we shouldn't accept for ourselves to remain unchanged. We look we will look at that more and more as we deal with the continued work in the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Spirit in the church in Lord's Day 21. But trust, he'll shape and form you. He will sanctify you. This is what he promises. But all of that, all of that change which comes begins here. He is given to me. He makes me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. He comforts me and he will remain with me forever. Last of all, if you fear, if you struggle with this doctrine, and if you aren't sure that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, and you want him to live and work in you, you want to grow in assurance. That in itself is already the beginning of his work, but let me leave you with these final, beautiful and comforting words of Jesus from Luke 11, verses 11 to 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask humbly and you will receive, beloved in Christ. Seek genuinely and you will find. Knock earnestly and the door will be opened because our God has promised it. He is given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Amen.